First Baptist Church of Dallas has a new pastor. We'll talk to him about his vision for the church. Vice President Dick Cheney has not always been a down-the-line conservative. We'll discuss it with the author of a new book about him. Plus, White House advisor Karl Rove resigned today. Liberals are saying good riddance. What about conservatives? This is Jerry Johnson Live for Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Today, I submitted my resignation as Deputy Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor effective the end of the month. Who is that? Who is that resigning? Carl Rove is moving on down the road. Carl Rove, Mr. President, President Bush says Carl Rove is moving on down the road. Is this good news for liberals? Wait a minute. Is it good news for conservatives? Liberals in Washington are leaping for joy. But also, Richard Vigory, longtime conservative activist, has said today, this is good news for conservatives. Which is it? We're going to talk about that later in the program. I love what uh, John Edwards says. He's a Democrat candidate. He said goodbye and good riddance. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Robert Jeffress, Pathway to Victory. Uh, he's been a guest on this program many times, pastor of Wichita First Baptist Church. He will assume the pulpit once occupied by w, uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell. He's going to join us to talk about that later in the program. Also, Vice President Dick Cheney has had a very long career in, politic, uh, in politics. But did you know that he was not really a conservative or a liberal when he started out in politics? There's a new book out about Dick Cheney, and we're going to interview the author later in the program. I'm looking forward to it, Dr. Johnson. All right, folks, it's hot out there today, Mm -hmm. very hot in the Dallas-Fort Worth region, across the southwest. If you're in Oklahoma, KSYE 91.5. If you're in San Angelo, KCRN, certainly if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, KCBI, it's very hot today. And here's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes. With this heat... What do you think about global warming? What is the temperature where you are today? Have you seen 103, 104, even 105? We'd like to know what you're feeling, what you're sensing. And uh, we're going to listen to Al Gore in just a minute. Maybe today is the day to listen to him. We might listen to the snowman from the Democrat debates in just a minute. We want you to call. The number is 800-881-9270. Is this evidence of global warming today? (laughs) 
800-881-9270. Now, as you listen to Al Gore, think about it and give us a call. If you look at the 10 hottest years ever measured, they've all occurred in the last 14 years. And the hottest of all was 2005. America is the natural leader of the world. And our world faces a true planetary emergency. The planet has a fever. This problem is burning a hole at the top of the world in the ice cover. There is a faster buildup of heat here at the North Pole in the Arctic Ocean and the Arctic generally than anywhere else on the planet. That is one of the principal ways our planet cools itself. If it goes, it won't come back on any time scale relevant to the human species. We do not have time to play around with this. We do not have the luxury of making it a political football and exercising politics as usual. I think we should immediately freeze CO2 emissions in the United States of America and then begin a program of sharp reductions to reach at least 90% reductions by 2050. We're putting 70 million tons of global warming pollution every day into the Earth's atmosphere as if it's an open sewer. The planet has a fever. Al Gore says the planet has a fever. It's hot out there today. Do you buy this global warming scare that uh, he seems to be promoting? And uh, particularly as Christians, what is our responsibility when it comes to the environment? And to speak the truth, we want your calls, 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. How hot is it out there where you are today? We want to know the temperature where you live, but particularly, do you think this is evidence for global warming? We've got Bob from Terrell on the line. Bob, how hot is it out there in Terrell, and is this a sign of global warming? It's about 101, and no, it's not a, glo- a sign of global warming, because in June and July, we should be around 98 to 99 degrees to 100 degrees, and we wasn't in June and July this, this year. Hey, Bob, I think you're right about that. In fact, if people have the long view, we had zero 100-degree day mm-hmm. occurrence in July. None. There were no days in July in the DFW area of 100 degrees. Very unusual. That's very unusual. We had a cooler than usual July. Interestingly, there was a record cooling in April in the Northeast. I'm talking about New York and New Jersey and the the Northeast coast of the United States. A record for cooling in April. Very interesting as well. We had record rainfall in June and July in the Dallas-Fort Worth Well, they'll say that's global warming. Well, yes, we'll talk about that in a minute. We've got Joe on the line from Roanoke. Joe, what's the temperature today where you are, and do you believe this is evidence of global warming? Well, it got up to 104, and it's cooled down to about a cool 101. Um, I I really think this is a sign of summer in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I remember this from when I was a little boy. I think you're right, Joe. Um, I don't buy the whole global warming thing, especially when you see the, you know, the announcer saying the glaciers are melting, uh, you, you know, faster, and they're standing there and say, look at this glacier, it disappeared 50,000 years ago. It's like, duh, things run in cycles. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we're any better or any worse than we were back when God said, let there be light. Hey, thanks, Joe. 
Folks, what do you think out there? How hot is it where you are? Is that a sign and evidence of global warming? So far, the vote is two to nothing, and we're just taking these calls as we get them. We've got Stan on the line from Sanger. Stan, how hot is it there today, and do you think this is global warming come our way? Well, I'm, I'm like the last guy. It sounds like the uh, summer when I was a little boy and everything. Uh, I'm coming back from College Station, Texas today, headed back toward my home in Sanger, and... Um, it was about 103 down there. Wow. Um, what I'd like to know is just what the PhDs and the Nobel laureates and those guys say about global warming and not, you know, somebody that's smart versus somebody like um, uh, Al Gore. Yes. Well, uh, I think that's an excellent question, Stan. Let's talk about that for a few minutes uh, here, Pena, because there's been a good bit of disagreement. You know, one of the things that um, has frustrated the global warming political activist is, is that uh, there are some people who have PhDs. We've talked to them on this program, and they say, wait a minute, um, this this is a fad. This is not about facts. This is a, a kind of a fad. And those who have um, been saying we're not so sure about this, we need to take a long view and a cyclical view, They've been pretty much shouted down, and they've been called Holocaust deniers and things like this. Now, I want us to listen uh, to a little report here. Al Gore is, is starting to fight back and to react against these critics. Here's a report from Rita Foley. ExxonMobil denies it, but Al Gore says it is just one of the big oil companies that's trying to mislead you about global warming. Gore says some of the biggest polluters are spending millions every year to plant doubts in your mind about how the scientific community sees global warming. He compared the campaign to the millions of dollars tobacco companies spent years ago to create the impression that experts disagreed about smoking's harmful effects. I'm Rita Foley. Okay, Penna, obviously the global warming critics are showing up on the radar screen. They're frustrating those who have a one-sided agenda. Tell us what happened with Newsweek in the last two or three issues. Well, first of all, uh, Rita Foley was talking about ExxonMobil, and uh, they have been accused of paying some academics to criticize global warming, to do these studies and write these articles. And Newsweek magazine used that as part of its cover story, Global Warming is a Hoax, uh, with, a, with an asterisk. And really this... Uh, Newsweek story last week was blasting what they called the global warming deniers. Very interesting, though, Dr. Johnson, because this week in Newsweek, Robert Samuelson, who has a column every week in that magazine, came back to criticize his own magazine. And uh, this is, I mean, I read Newsweek every week. I've, I've put myself through that exercise for a reason. Uh, but I've never seen this before. I've never seen them come back and actually criticize their own cover story. But Bob Samuelson said that uh, this was a highly contrived story about the global warming denial machine. He said this whole supposed cash bounty to pay skeptics had had been disproved, along, uh, discredited and disproved a long time ago. And he basically said that journalists should not get on their moralistic high horse about global warming because the science is not settled. There are scientists that say there's global warming, but there are also lots of scientists that say there is not global warming. And 
and uh, that there's no proof that there is global warming. And so, you know, he's basically, and as I read this article in Newsweek by Sharon Begley, she tends to be their science person and she tends to be extremely ideologically driven. And I don't see a lot of a really good science in most of her stuff. She's done stem cells and other things. But Samuelson goes on to say that we do not have the technology to uh, squelch global warming. If the global warming that they're talking about is really here, we cannot, with these policies that are being recommended by Al Gore, members of the Senate, and other people, we will not be able to do what they say that these remedies will do. And what we will end up doing is costing our economy a tremendous amount of money and basically hurting people who are in the middle and lower income levels of the society, hurting business, hurting the machine that drives the good economy. And so, you know, he just basically debunks a lot of the quote-unquote facts that are not facts that are in this. And I think this is just, uh, it tends to be sort of a microcosm of what is happening on a national scale and a worldwide scale as we debate this. So in one week, Newsweek coming out uh, with one story. The next week, the next issue, the next edition, one of their main contributors saying, wait a minute, we got it wrong. And don't forget this, it was Newsweek back in the 70s who said, the coming ice age. Back then, they were on the coming Ice Age right. bandwagon. Well, we've got a caller on the line, Scott from Dublin. Scott, how hot is it where you are? Do you think this is evidence of global warming? Well, uh, it's about 100, 101, and it feels pretty normal to me. I'm more concerned about yeah. the fact that this year I had to hide Easter eggs in the snow. I mean, we had about two feet of <laughs> That's snow right. the day before Easter. That's right. Uh, how soon it's we It's global forget. warming. It's global warming. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're going to keep talking about this, but let me lay out some facts for you right now. And nobody's paying me to say this. I, I wish ExxonMobil would pay me. I've been helping them out here, but uh, I'm just about saying the, the truth and giving out the facts. And, folks, from 950, the year 950 to 1450, there was a great warming of the no- northern hemisphere. Iceland, Greenland, they were growing crops there. We know that. And it was a very productive time in Europe and particularly in those areas. From the year 1450 to 1900, you had 500 years of cooling. Cooling, the time of the plagues. And really, it was a difficult time for for northern Europe. And um, then from 1900 to around 1999, you had a warming. But from 99 to 2007, it's been the same and actually a little bit cooler. So we're in a cycle and maybe the end of a cycle. But let's be sure of this. Christians are to be good stewards. We're not the litter. We're not to pollute. God has placed us in stewardship over this environment. But I'm very concerned that Al Gore called his concert Mother Earth Concerts. That's the old Gaia hypothesis. That's not a Christian philosophy. That's not Christian theology. That's paganism, the Mother Earth concept. Well, when we come back, Dr. Robert Jeffress the new pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas. Where is that church heading? We'll find out when we come back. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's word, the Bible. 
The word and worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Dr. Robert Jeffress was elected yesterday at the First Baptist Church of Dallas as the senior pastor. Dr. Jeffress is a graduate of Baylor University, Southwestern Seminary, and Dallas Theological Seminary. He has served as the pastor of First Baptist Church, Wichita Falls, for 15 years. Welcome to the program, Dr. Jeffress. Well, thanks, Jerry. It's great to be with you. Well, let's just say uh, right now, congratulations. We're so excited uh, that you're on the show with us today on the program. We thank you for for taking time out of what must be a busy transition schedule. Uh, You're still in Dallas today, is that right? That's right. Uh, We just had some meetings today with the staff at First Baptist Dallas, and we're getting ready to head back to Wichita Falls and finish up our work there, and then We'll be back in uh, Dallas at first Dallas, the 1st of September, and uh, my first uh, Sunday officially will be September the 16th. Well, Dr. Jeffress, you know, of course, you grew up at First Baptist Church Dallas. Uh, You know that pulpit in this city, that church in this community, uh, a tremendous opportunity. Would you just talk to us about your vision for the church, your vision for your time of ministry here Uh, What are the opportunities you see God placing before us? Well, First Baptist Dallas does, as you know, Jerry, have a rich, nearly 140-year history, and probably the thing that the church is best known for is its fidelity to the inspired and errant Word of God. That pulpit has always had a strong pastor who was committed to preaching and teaching the immutable Word of God, and that's certainly not going to change when I become pastor and begin preaching there on September 16th. But another great uh, legacy uh, foundation of that church has been its commitment to reaching people of all ages and stages in life. It has truly been a family church. And, you know, I think what really, Jerry, separates First Baptist from a lot of the other megachurches, even in the city of Dallas, is that First Baptist doesn't just reach a niche audience, one age group, or one socioeconomic group, but it's really a church for all people. It has a ministry for people uh, from the womb to the tomb. And that's really what I want to continue and expand on uh, in this new era of the life of First Baptist Church. And uh, I believe, Jerry, yes, there is a great revitalization of downtown. I've been staying downtown the last few days. I've been so surprised at the changes and the good changes taking place there. But I believe First Dallas is a church not only for those in the surrounding downtown area, but it is truly a metroplex church for people who are looking for a church that is faithful to the Word of God, but as I said, provides a ministry for people at all stages of life. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. Robert Jeffress, newly elected pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. Dr. Jeffress, we're sitting here broadcasting from Criswell College, a name for Dr. W.A. Criswell, the founding president and chancellor of Criswell College. And by the way, you are the new chancellor of Criswell College that comes along with your new job assignment. And uh, we look forward to working with you there. But talk to us about uh, the lessons from W.A. Criswell's life. I mean, he was your pastor. How has he influenced uh, your ministry, uh, the way that you go about the work of the pastorate? Well, I tell you, Jerry, I mean, he has made an indelible impact on my life. When I was five years old, I went into his office and knelt down with him, and he led me to faith in Christ. So in, in every sense of the word, he is my spiritual father. And I was baptized by him when I was seven. I was ordained to the ministry by him, was uh, married by him, as you know, uh, 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 spoke at his funeral service. I mean, uh, no man uh, uh, has made any more impact on my life than W.A. Criswell and uh, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary. Those are my two spiritual mentors, and uh, I'll always be grateful to Dr. Criswell. And I suppose, again, the thing that he left with me was a commitment uh to the Word of God. I mentioned yesterday in the services at First Dallas that when I went to college, um, my belief in the inspiration of the Scripture was severely tested, but in the end, my heart and mind always came back to those sermons Dr. Criswell preached on the infallibility of the Scripture, and to his favorite verse of Scripture, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. And so I really owe a debt of gratitude both to Dr. Criswell and to the First Baptist Church in Dallas. A debt of gratitude for the confidence they instilled in me in God's Word. Dr. Jeffers, this is Penna Dexter. I don't know whether to say congratulations to you or to First Baptist of Dallas, so I'll say it to both of you. But, uh, you know, you are known uh, from your work at First Baptist uh, of Wichita Falls as something of a culture warrior. And, uh, you know, you do have that reputation, and you've also p- placed that in balance in your ministry. Will you continue that here in Dallas? Well, absolutely. And, of course, that will be to the chagrin of some. I saw that the homosexual newspaper, Dallas Voice, had a front-page story Friday about my coming and questioning <laughs> why uh, First Dallas would call a pastor who is anti-gay in his theology. <laughs> so they obviously don't know much about First Baptist Dallas. but. <laughs> right. You know, I believe in just preaching the Bible, mm. and, uh, and uh, if the shoe fits, wear it. And mm. when I took that stand uh, that was well publicized in our community against those two uh, gay children's books, uh, Heather Has Two Mommies and Daddy's Roommate, that, that uh, stand didn't come out of nowhere. I was preaching through the book of Genesis, had come to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and had just made the point that no society can afford to condone what God had condemned when somebody placed those uh, books in my hand. So what I'm saying is I don't believe pastors need to take on every cause that comes down the pipe, but when a cause comes into direct conflict with the Word of God, we have to take a stand, and that will continue in Dallas. We're talking to Jerry. We're talking to Robert Jeffries, Doctor Robert Jeffries. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Doctor Jeffries is the new pastor of First Baptist Dallas. You can hear him every day right here on KCBI at two o'clock. Pathway to Victory, a Bible teaching program. Last question, Doctor Jeffries. Yesterday in your message, you talked about worship 
And you said something very interesting. You talked about the purpose of worship and the benefits of worship. And you talked about how some people today um, are only thinking about the benefits of worship, and actually that can mess us up. Could you just explain that uh, to the folks? Well, that's right. I mean, certainly a priority of the church is worship. But many times people think of worship in terms of what does it do for me? You know, do I get a case of spiritual goosebumps after I leave the worship center? And they use that as a test of worship. Worship isn't about us. There are many benefits to worship for us, but the purpose of worship is to magnify God. The real question at the end of a worship service is not how do we feel about the experience, but how does God feel about the experience? Have we truly magnified Him and expressed our admiration for Him? That's what worship is all about. All right, and you will be speaking every day here at 2 o'clock on KCBI, and then also this Saturday, The Secret Exposed at 12.30 p.m. on KCBI at uh, 6.30 a.m. on Sirius Channel 161. Dr. Jeffers, we look forward to hearing you. We look forward to working with you. May God bless you in your new assignment as pastor of First Dallas and as chancellor of Criswell College. Welcome back to Dallas. Thank you, Jerry and Penn, and I'm looking forward to working with both of you. All right, folks, that's Dr. Robert Jeffress, and we do look forward to working with him. And when he gets back to town, we'll hear more from him, mm-hmm. I am sure. But every day you can hear him at 2 o'clock on KCBI, Pathway to Victory. And then this Saturday, 12.30 p.m., The Secret Exposed. Now let's listen to a little appetizer all right get ready to hear about this on saturday at 12:30 the secret exposed get ready for it now a year ago my life had collapsed around me i'd worked myself into exhaustion my father died suddenly and my relationships were in turmoil little did i know at the time out of my greatest despair was to come the greatest gift. I'd been given a glimpse of a great secret. And Rhonda Byrne, the author of The Secret, basically said she discovered in a one, an obscure 100-year-old book the actual answer to all of life's yearnings. It promises to fulfill every need I have, which of course is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Millions and millions of people worldwide have turned to this. I think the most effective way to poison someone is to mix some toxin in with some really good food. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And our thoughts are incredibly powerful. But the idea that these thoughts become things and create a reality apart and without reference to God, I think that's very dangerous. According to her secret, if you are worried about things like bills or debt, the universe will hear that. The universe can't tell that it's a negative, and so the universe will send you more bills, more debt. However, once you understand have been initiated into her secret, you will realize that by changing the way you think, you can think new car, you can think a new home, a uh, 
exotic vacation. It's about self. It's about happiness. It's about possessions. It's about power. It's about sex. It's about looks and appealing uh, personality and popularity. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that a man's life is, does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And by the last section of the book, you learn the big secret that you actually are God. The Secret Exposed, a Christian News Weekly investigative report, this Saturday, right here on CRN. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Mr. President, I'm grateful for the opportunity you gave me to um, serve our nation and you. I'm grateful for being able to work with the extraordinary men and women that you've drawn into this administration. And I'm grateful to have been a witness to history. It has been the joy and the honor of a lifetime. That's White House Deputy Chief of Staff Carl Rove announcing his resignation. The liberals are rejoicing, jumping with glee. Uh, John Edwards said goodbye and good riddance. Liberals are happy, but wait a minute. Richard Vigory, longtime conservative activist, said today, this is good news for conservatives. Which is it? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I want to tell you one thing that Karl Rove said is right on target, and that is the presidency is historic in nature. What happens in the White House affects the nation, affects our culture, affects our history. So let's talk about another man very close to the President of the United States. Well, speaking of history, of course, Vice President Dick Cheney has been in history and part of history and making history for 40 years. He's worked in the political arena for that long, and uh, there is a new book out about him, written by our next guest, Stephen Hayes. He's senior writer at the Weekly Standard, and he's author of uh, this new book, which is entitled uh, Cheney, The Untold Story of America's Most Powerful and Controversial Vice President. Mr. Hayes, thank you for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Why did you pick Dick Cheney to write a book about? about, uh, I know that he hates to be interviewed, uh, but you got to do it. (laughs) Well, actually, it's for for exactly the reasons that you all were just talking about. I mean, he he has been uh, uh, this slice of recent American history. I mean, he worked in a a mid-level position in the Nixon administration, was chief of staff to Gerald Ford, served in Congress for 10 years, secretary of defense for four during the war, uh, private sector for a little bit, and of course now vice president for six and a half years. It's, it's this amazing uh, life story for somebody who is not a typical politician. I mean, that's what people, I think, have such trouble getting their arms around is the fact that he is in many ways, the anti-politician. He's the opposite of Bill Clinton. Well, Stephen, I find that very Clinton. interesting because when you when I look at your book and I see that he didn't really have uh, a political opinion when he started out in working in politics. Yeah, isn't that amazing? He didn't really have a political philosophy until he was in Washington for several years. I mean, most people, young people who come to Washington, have a very... Uh, very strong sense of what they're in Washington to do. And I'm, I'm no exception. I mean, I came and I went to work for the Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. and 
I was a conservative then, and I knew what I was, you know, I knew what I thought was coming to change the world. And uh, Dick Cheney had none of those thoughts. He came because he was interested in seeing how the mechanics of government operated. And only later and sort of gradually did he develop a pretty sophisticated political philosophy that took parts of his upbringing in Wyoming with his experience in, in Washington. Our guest is Stephen Hayes, and he's written the book Cheney, The Untold Story of America's Most Powerful and Controversial Vice President. Stephen, I remember when President Bush was running for president, and a lot of conservatives, when they saw that Dick Cheney was the vice presidential nominee and he was on the ticket, they thought, well, here's at least a foreign policy grown-up that is going to be part of this so we can support this ticket. What about that? Yeah, I think there was something to that, actually. I mean, when I interviewed the president for the book, he said, you know, one of the reasons that he was drawn to Dick Cheney was because they'd spent a fair amount of time together on the Bush campaign uh, foreign policy and national security meetings. And Cheney would come and he'd sit with these Republican heavyweights like Paul Wolfowitz and Richard Pearl and Condoleezza Rice and others and talk about foreign policy. Usually Cheney would be silent. And then occasionally he would speak up. And the president told me that he noticed when Cheney spoke, everybody else stopped and paid very close attention to what Cheney said, and he usually won the day. Now, this is back during the campaign, and Bush said anybody who commands that level of respect from those kinds of people was worthy of considerations, and it was his consideration uh, as a serious thinker, and and it was one of the things that, that of course, drew uh, President Bush or then Governor Bush to, to think about Cheney as vice president. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Stephen Hayes. He's written the book. Cheney, the untold story of America's most powerful and controversial vice president. Uh, Stephen, I want you to listen now to a quote from Dick Cheney. We're going to talk about this. It is cynical to declare that the war is lost because you believe it gives you political advantage. Now, Stephen, there's some gravitas there in that voice. Of course, he's reacting to Harry Reid, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, who said the war is lost. Now, I can remember, this is a family uh, radio network. We can't get into the details here. But I remember when Cheney took on the name Big Time in the White House. Big Time. We will talk about when that came up. But uh, he was recognized by the White House staff as a very powerful man uh, early on in the presidency. And what I'd like to know is... How powerful is he now? How influential? And where is he exerting his influence? Uh, is it strictly in foreign policy or other areas? Well, I, th- I think he's still more powerful today than any vice president has been in the history of the country. Um, I think it's fair to, to say that he's perhaps lost some influence um, when compared to the influence he had during the first term. And I think you can tell that just by some of the policy policies that the president is choosing that I think it's inconceivable Cheney would be enthusiastic about certain policies. And I'm thinking just to, to throw out one example of the uh, decision to engage with the Iranians um, as they're funding, equipping, and training insurgents killing our soldiers in Iraq. I think that that's something if this were a Cheney presidency, we would not be doing. Um, but I think, you know, he, he is a powerful president. He has been, as you say, from the very beginning of the administration, a powerful president. And I think there are all sorts of conspiracy theories from the left about why he's so powerful. And I think it's actually not very complicated. He went to President Bush very early on, right after uh, they won election, and he said, you know, I'm not going to run to succeed you. And the president told me, 
that meant a lot to him because he knew that whatever advice he was getting yes. from Dick Cheney would be advice that Cheney thought was good for the Bush administration mm-hmm. and, more importantly, good for the country. And it was not going to be something designed to appeal to voters in Iowa or New Hampshire about this time. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Stephen Hayes. He's written a book about Dick Cheney. You want to check this out, Stephen, why we've got you on the line. Uh, Mitt Romney has won the Iowa straw poll. I want you to listen to Mitt Romney. You follow politics. What do you make of this? Here, Romney. It sends a uh, message that America is ready for a change, and that change began in Iowa. I was delighted to do so well. I know uh, everybody else is, uh, is wishing they could be in my spot, uh, but I'm glad I've got it. Uh, did he buy this victory? Well, sure. I, I mean, that's basically what the Iowa straw poll is. <laughs> right. It's, it's a test of organization. It's a test of, uh, of getting people out, and it's a test of how much, much money you spend. And there have been, I think, estimates that he spent $4 million plus to win 14,000 votes or something in, in that neighborhood. Um, or, excuse me, 4,000 votes. It's not uh, 14,000 wow. mm, Unreal. That's pretty expensive vote buying. Uh, let's talk about Huck, Huckabee. I think that might have been the surprise. Let's listen to Huckabee uh, on his victory. It wasn't just that we surprised people with a second uh, showing. It's that we did it with so few resources. I mean, this really was uh, feeding the 5,000 with uh, two fish and five loaves. Okay, with Giuliani not in the running and McCain not in the running in Iowa, here's my question, Stephen. Does Huckabee coming in second help him get out of that bottom tier into the second or the top tier at all? Do you see a real help here for Huckabee? No, not really. I mean, I, I think it it doesn't hurt, certainly, but I don't... I don't think it makes him jump tears, and I think that's the, your analysis is the appropriate one. I mean, it's a boost, certainly, and it, and it certainly helps his credentials, but I think, you know, he, there will be, I think, essentially a four-person top tier, and it will be Giuliani, Romney, McCain, and Fred Thompson. And Huckabee may have some appeal. He certainly makes the debates more interesting. I mean, I like what he has to say. Yeah, that's I don't, uh, don't always agree with him, but he makes the debates more interesting, and he says some some interesting things and takes some good shots at uh, at his opponents. So he's, he's fun. from a reporter's perspective, we love to have him there. Stephen Hayes has written the book Cheney: The Untold Secret of America's Most Powerful and Controversial Vice President. Thank you for being with us. We hope to have you back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to talk about what's happening in our world. Uh, It is over 100 degrees everywhere in the southwest today, certainly where you can hear KCBI, KCRN, KSYE. We're going to talk about global warming and politics as we come up on the next segment. Uh, There was a snowman, a snowman uh, that was featured prominently in the Democrat debates. We've been talking about Mitt Romney, and uh, let's bring these two issues together because uh, the global warming issue... It is front and center, but it got kind of ridiculous at the Democrat YouTube debate. Uh, let's listen to a question that was asked uh, on YouTube of one of the Democrat candidates. Here it is. Hello, Democratic candidates. I've been growing concerned that global warming, the single most important issue to the snowmen of this country, is being neglected. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich says that this... Um, this presidential process, these, these debates have gotten outrageous. This is crazy. And you had in this Democrat debate on YouTube, you had this snowman figure. 
asking that question about global warming. And, of course, Mitt Romney, who came in in the Iowa straw poll, first said uh, he has no interest in a YouTube debate. He doesn't believe that these candidates ought to be answering questions asked by snowmen. <laughs> and so uh, what about real people, real concerns, real issues? We're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to talk about Mitt Romney, uh, Mike Huckabee, Take more of your calls today on global warming. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. How hot is it where you are? Do you, do you believe this is global warming? And uh, we're going to talk about um, presidential politics, your life. Who are you supporting right now? 800-881-9270. First Baptist Dallas also. Call about that if you want. We'll hear from you right away. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview Focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Every action I took as governor was on the side of life. I am pro-life. I'm not going to apologize for that. And you can look at my record to see that that's exactly the case. Well, that's Mitt Romney. He's running for president of the United States. He won the Iowa straw poll. But he's been very clear to say he does does not have an interest in a YouTube-style debate where he might have to answer a question by a snowman. We'll hear that snowman in a minute direct uh, a question to Mitt Romney. We'll talk about that. We'll listen to that snowman in just a moment. But we want to know how hot it is where you are. Do you think this is a sign of global warming? It's very hot out there today. We've got Michael on the line from Carrollton. Michael, thank you for calling. What's your view and what's your temperature today? Oh, thank you for taking my call, Dr. Criswell. Or Dr. Johnson, I beg your pardon. Oh, um, nice compliment there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Um, it's 104 here where I am. Oh, wow. I it was 135 degrees when I got it in on my way home today, so it's it's really noticeable. I don't believe that's a that's a belief issue, but I don't believe it is global warming. Um, however, I'm a professional mariner. I uh, uh-huh. served in the Navy for 25 years, and I used to see things at sea where you would expect there to be perfect, pristine ocean just completely uh, you know, filled full of man. Everywhere we've been. Trash left our mark on the earth, yeah. and I really appreciate what you said about uh, being concerned about that issue. Yes. Back to my question is, um, I'm not so sure that it's a matter of which PhD or group of PhDs you're listening to. Um, my father used to say there's a equal and opposing PhD to every theory, but yes, I know for one fact that I'm very concerned about our global ice caps, uh, both mm. north and south caps. Mm-hmm. They are 
receding, glaciers are receding, and, and that's not something that is a function of belief or statistical data. Michael, are you sure about that in Antarctica, the South Pole? I've read yes. some material that says that that's been getting thicker. Well, in fact, the uh, ice flow areas are thinner where the wildlife uh, uh, congregate. They have uh, less ice to have to, uh, for exam- example, the, uh, um, you know, in, in the regional of the, I guess you could call them the, the uh, littoral areas of the continent. The uh, the melt is exposing rock um, meteors. So you know it's it's no mystery to scientists that that's where most of the uh, geologists that are studying um, meteors are going because there's been an increase in the number of those that have shown up in various places. So what do you feel about the idea that this is cyclical? When we look back at those periods. You know, from 900 to 1450, the great I, I time agree, of warming. I agree with you. I completely agree. Um, it, it's conflicting as to what people want to correlate. Right, um, right. For example, the biggest issue I see that is, no, is how much carbon dioxide yeah. is in the atmosphere in steady conditions since the start of the uh, Industrial Revolution. The data for that is very impressive, and long-term exposure to carbon dioxide is extremely harmful. The Navy has the largest database in its nuclear submarine program of anyone, uh, of anybody, of sailors who've been exposed to low levels of carbon dioxide above what is what we would call ambient or steady-state global conditions. And we know it's not good, but that level is known through measuring ice core uh, from before the right. industrial evolution, or revolution, I'm sorry. Uh, but that That's a big statistical issue that is people are, you know, they're arguing whether that could impact on global warming, and I don't believe that that's been correlated. That's a big debate right now. The concern we see is, um, for example, Iceland, the ice pack has gotten so thin that polar bears and fishermen cannot go out on the ice. They're, they're dog sleds. They've been doing this for several hundred years. Well, let me ask you a question about that, Michael. I don't doubt that, but if we do believe, and I think most people do agree, that they had warmer temperatures from nine uh, nine fifty to about fourteen fifty. If yeah. we believe that, certainly everyone believes that there were polar bears around at that time during the warm period up in those northern areas. What? How did they survive for that that long period of history? That eight hundred thousand year period of history. Well, well, certainly the you know God's creatures adapt. That's what's so miraculous. Right, about them. right. Is there you know humans are the most adaptable of all? But uh, his creation has, is the most adaptable thing other than we right. are. So that's the answer for why they are so, pro, you know, they're very pro. Right, right. But I, um, I think we're, we're kind of mistaken to attach a political value to that sort of arguments because those, I really hear that coming as almost a diatribe from both the left and the right. Right. And, and the issue that you so clearly stated is really our, um, our, Stewardship, yes. We are to be faithful stewards. We don't own it. God owns it. He's placed us here in stewardship. Michael, I like your kind of call. I want you to call back on another day. We've got other people on the line, and we're wrapping up the show, but some very good information and interaction there. That's the kind of discussion we need to have. I don't think anybody debates that we've been on a warming trend, but uh, as we look at the long view, we see these cycles, and I think uh, those are facts. But I want to go quickly uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous. I want to play the snowman question. This is the snowman 
speaking directly to Mitt Romney, who says he will not debate over global warming. Hello, Mitt Romney. In preparing for the Republican YouTube debate, it's come to my attention that you feel answering a question from me would degrade the presidency. Lighten up slightly. From family snowman to family man, I hope you can appreciate that no one is more qualified to ask a question about global warming than a concerned snow parent. What if, on a hot summer day, there was a danger of your children melting into a puddle? I think you would agree it is our duty as fathers to ensure that doesn't happen. I look forward to seeing you at the debate. All right, that's the snowman speaking to Mitt Romney. And um, people are all over the map on this. They are. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a, a kind of a silly uh, question, silly sound for us to be playing. But we've really heard a lot of silly statements. Now, think of this. Al Gore actually called his concerts Mother Earth Concerts. Mother Earth Concerts. Again, that Gaia. Goes, it goes back to the Gaia hypothesis. That's a philosophy about this earth. Not that there is a transcendent God who created this earth and placed it here and who sovereignly rules over it, who's separate and apart from his creation, but visits his creation through prayer and through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But the guy hypothesis is that the, it's a pantheism, it's a panentheism, that uh, the ultimate reality is the universe and that he or she or it gave birth to the earth, birth to us, Mother Earth, uh, Mother Universe, and... Uh, that uh, Mother Earth is angry. He's or has to, a fever. Or has a fever and things like this. Mm-hmm. Now, the Christian worldview about our Earth is this, and this comes from Romans 8, that um, the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Folks, ever since Adam, creation has been groaning and is waiting for the return of the Messiah for a new kind of earth. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We'll be back. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.